I think this morning that as we're going to talk about, we all face discouragement. We all face issues in our lives. We all get discouraged. We all take emotional hits and emotional damage, spiritual hits and spiritual damage in our lives that cause us to become discouraged. Well, this morning we're going to start a new series on overcoming discouragement. And I need to warn you at the outset that there's not going to be any easy answer. There's not going to be a simple solution to this. This is not going to be a one-week service where I tell you, hey, some people get discouraged, but not Christians because God's there and everything's hunky-dory. As you all know, this is not a fake church. We don't believe in just hunky-dory just because that's what TV tells us. But instead, the real reality is, and the Bible is clear on this, the reality of life is that we do face discouragement, that there is times where, in fact, lots of times where we can become downtrodden and, in fact, want to just sort of throw in the towel and be done. I, as a pastor, there are many times where I face discouragement. In fact, my job is one, I believe, I've worked as a chemist, I've worked in other fields. Chemists don't really get as discouraged, I don't think, as pastors, and so discouragement is something that I know a lot about, and I think a lot of pastors know a lot about discouragement. I'm not saying you don't. I'm saying that as a profession, that one thing that we learn about quickly is discouragement in ministry. Other things, not so quick. You maybe learn about other things. Maybe you have discouragement as much in your job. I don't know. And that leads me to the second thing I want to mention too. There's no way we can possibly talk about all the issues with discouragement. There's no way we can deal with every single issue. So I'm going to just paint a very big picture, a very broad picture of discouragement and some solutions. But for each of you, discouragement will be different and the solution to discouragement will be different. So overcoming discouragement, this is our our series that we're going to be working through. Our three-week series then is saying no to discouragement, not allowing discouragement to take root in our lives, not allowing us to be overly discouraged any more than we need to be. Here's our strategy then. Today, we're going to look at the sources of discouragement, the sources of discouragement. Now, some of you will be disappointed in the message this morning because we're not going to talk at all about the solutions to discouragement. I'm sorry, but there's no way I can cover the amount of material that I'd like to talk about in one week to cover all the issues with discouragement. So I'm going to totally leave you all hanging this morning. I'm only going to talk about the bad and none of the good. Well, I'll talk a little bit about the good. I'll introduce some good. But I really want to talk about this issue of discouragement. As I mentioned in first service, I struggled because this is difficult for me. If this was exegeting a Bible passage, if this was talking about something in the ancient world, I would feel much more comfortable. But talking about discouragement is something that is both personal to me, and it's also something that it's different for everyone. Discouragement comes in all different seasons of life. In fact, discouragement can be at its highest when we are what? Most victorious. And we have the greatest moments of life oftentimes are followed by the greatest valleys as well. And so what happens is, is that today we're just going to focus on what are the sources of discouragement? Where does discouragement come from? My hope is, is that if we can really nail this down, if we can really be crystal clear on where discouragement comes from, that in the next couple of weeks as we deal with how to overcome discouragement, that we will better be able to isolate the discouragement that we want relief from. Or say it another way, you can't really fight the disease unless you know what the disease is. You can't attack the problem unless you know what the problem is. So this morning we're going to talk about the problem, and again, I'm going to try to do it a little more eloquently than I did first service. Sorry, guys, who are in first service. Here we go. Sources of discouragement. Let me just give the warning. 
Discouragement is a big topic. We can't possibly cover every issue. If I don't cover your issue, it's not because it's not important. It's just because discouragement is really broad and deals with a lot of issues. And you may have a very specific kind of discouragement or you may have a unique discouragement to you. And I would highly encourage you, if you have discouragement, talk to someone that loves you. Talk to me. Talk to my wife. Talk to your doctor. Talk to someone about it. So that way you can get some encouragement in your discouragement. All right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to see what the Bible says. We're going to skip around this morning. We're not going to just grab one text. The Bible doesn't have a passage that really sort of deals with discouragement, at least not the sources of discouragement. So we're going to skip around to a couple passages, Acts, 1 Kings, and Jonah. And uh, so we're going to see what the Bible says. But three ideas or three sources I believe the Bible talks about when it says discouragement, where it comes from, the source of discouragement. Number one is this. Discouragement can be physical. Discouragement can be physical. Let's see what the Bible says here. This is in Acts, and this is talking about Paul when he is on his way back from a missionary journey. But the weather changed abruptly. Actually, this is when he's being taken to Rome. But the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength, which they call a northeaster, burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. So they're just throwing everything, including the food and rations and everything, overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. And by the way, no one on board had eaten for a long time. Now, this is one of the discouragements that Paul faced was being shipwrecked and being on these voyages that were really devastating to him. Paul faced many hardships in his life and ministry. We see here from Acts 27 an example of one of the hardships he faced. Now, let me contrast Paul's experience with the experience that we will sometimes see on TV or sometimes see at the Christian bookstore. We're Christians. We're not supposed to be discouraged, right? Jesus died for us. We can be healthy. We can be happy. We can be whole. Everything's great. If you're discouraged, it's because you don't have enough faith, right? <clears throat> Wrong. That's not biblical, but a lot of times that's what we hear. We get the impression from people that we should not be discouraged because we're Christians. But as I'm going to argue later, actually Christians have more reasons to be discouraged than anyone else. Christians actually face more discouragement than non-Christians, and we're going to talk about why that is later on today. But Paul faced many hardships in his life and ministry. A big part of it was, a big part of it for Paul was physical hardship. I mean, listen, here's a guy who was an apostle. Here's one of the guys who Jesus appeared to personally, and yet Paul did what? Was he encouraged? No, he faced significant discouragement throughout his life. One of the things that Paul faced was physical discouragement. He had hardships. He had hunger. He had issues that discouraged him. Listen, if you go out without food for a while, you're going to be discouraged. If you go without sleep, you don't sleep right, you're going to be discouraged. There are going to be physical reasons for discouragement. If you work all the time, I struggle with workaholism. How about you? If you work all the time, you're going to face more discouragement than not. If you don't get enough sleep, you don't eat, you work too much, you don't take care of yourself, you sit behind a desk all day, you sit in a cubicle all day. If you do those things, you're going to face greater discouragement than you might like. A lot of discouragement that we may face is physical. I'm not a doctor. I just want to give you a brief introduction to this, and then I'll leave it between you and your medical doctor. 
some things that are physical discouragement you are not going to be able to deal with. Let me say it again. God can heal anything. When anything happens to our lives, we want to go to God first. At the same time, if we feel bad, we also want to give our doctor a call because he's, that's what he's there for too. We want to call him and we want to get his opinion. We want to get his help. Is he infallible? Is the doctor God? No, but modern medicine does help. And so we want to use that. In the ancient world, people then, they practice medicine as best they knew too. Jesus never talks bad about medicine. Why? Because it's, it's good. It's not a bad thing. Paul faced many hardships in his life and ministry. Let me give you an example. We should carefully monitor our health. It's important for us to do this. You know, there's a famous pastor who said that I was so busy building up the kingdom that I didn't worry about my physical health until my physical health just totally fell apart. And he was testifying to a group of pastors that you can't just be focused so much on work and the church that everything else falls apart in your life. And we pastors, a lot of times, are susceptible to that. And some of you are susceptible to other things in your life similarly as well. So we should carefully monitor our health. Our health is important to us. It's important to God that we remain healthy and that we stay healthy. Now, again, I'm not saying this because I'm the epitome of health. I'm just saying this because it's something that we all need to monitor and we all need to be careful about. When you feel discouragement, when to get medical help? Really quickly, let me just go down the list here. This is from WebMD. I'm not a medical doctor, but this is from WebMD. Difficulty concentrating, fatigue, feelings of worthlessness, no sleep or excessive sleeping, loss of interest in fun activities, persistent aches or pains, persistent anxiety, thoughts of suicide. If you experience those kind of issues, significant issues, definitely you need to get help with someone. You need to go to your doctor. You can come see me. I'm going to refer you to your doctor. You can go see someone like my wife. She's going to refer you to a doctor also. Why? Because there are some things that they can do to help. Again, this doesn't negate God, but this just says, let's be honest and let's deal with these issues. Some things in our lives are physical. If we don't get enough sleep, we don't eat right, we don't do the things that we need to do, we will face discouragement. Okay, everybody cool with our seventh grade health lesson for this morning? All right, good. Let's move on, okay? Because I can't really do much about the physical part. Here's the things I can do something about, though. Number two is discouragement can be emotional. Discouragement can be emotional. Let's look at a great example from the Bible. This is from 1 Kings. So Jezebel, everybody remember Jezebel, she's like the evil witch queen. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And he didn't mean something nice by that, by the way, if you look at it in the original language. So here's the thing. Here's Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. Elijah saw miracles of God. I mean, he saw more miracles than, well, except not counting maybe Moses and the people who walk with Jesus. Elijah probably saw more miracles than anybody else. Elijah does what? He says, I'm ready to crawl out on the ledge like in the movie clip and end it all here. That's massive discouragement. But I thought Elijah as a prophet of God was supposed to be happy, happy, joy, joy, that Christians were never supposed to be sad or unhappy, right? You could have your best moment now or whatever the book is. I'm not being totally mean about that, but I mean, you know, it's not very realistic. Let me just put it to you like that. So here's the thing. Elijah faced a constant threat of many enemies. What is the thing that Elijah dealt with? He dealt with enemies. 
One of the things that we deal with in our lives as well as enemies, how many of us go to work and we have a constant sort of love-hate relationship with some of our coworkers? We know that they like us, but only as much as they're willing to not do anything that will hurt them in their career kind of thing. How many of you know what a frenemy is? How many of you know what a friend, Rich? No, you're not supposed to know that. You're not supposed to know. But frenemies, it's a chick lit kind of thing. If you watch enough girl movies, you know what frenemies are. Well, we have to deal with those today. What are frenemies? Those are friends who are really enemies that we have to be nice to because they're friends, but really enemies. How many of us have relatives who are supposed to love us, but when they see us, they're always ragging us or tearing us down or hurting our feelings? Some of us have relatives like that. You're supposed to love me, not talk about how overweight I am. You're supposed to love me and not talk about how I'm not married and don't have any kids yet. But yet we deal with that. Listen, in marriage, and actually it works in any relationship, it's very easy to see how this happens. Because every single one of us have, as counselors like to talk about, an emotional bank. We have this emotional bank, and the more the emotional bank is full, the more the emotional bank can do things. But when the emotional bank is empty, it doesn't really work. Let me give you an example. When you get married, when you're before, before you get married, you really love your future spouse, you're excited about the wedding, everything she does fills the bank up because she's beautiful and she's wonderful and all this kind of good stuff. And the fact that she does annoying things, you don't worry about those because you're still dating. But when you get married, you move in, you start living together, you start having kids, you start arguing about which way the toilet paper is supposed to be rolled, what is supposed to be rolled this way or this way. Noelle and I never fought about that. I don't really care. She cares a little bit, but not enough to fight with me. No, there's no right answer, ladies. Yes, men, you still need to, if your wife feels there's a right way, I feel sorry for you, but you have to deal with that and be nice about it. Every time someone comes to you and says, like in marriage or like at work or like with relatives, and says to you, hey, that shirt makes you look really fat. What does that do? That withdraws some emotional currency from your bank. You know, my sister-in-law, who, by the way, I didn't say this first in first service, my sister-in-law, who is neither fat nor anything, she's just a, a normal girl, went to the bank yesterday and posted on Facebook that the teller said, hey, how many months pregnant are you? When are you due? She's not married or fat, so I don't know what was up with that. But what did that do? Emotional currency taken out. And before long, you get to the point where it's all taken out. People are always harassing you, always attacking you. You got a short fuse. You're ready to go off at any point. Why? Because there's that lack of emotional currency in there. You have emotional baggage because you have all withdrawals and no positives in your bank account. This deals with the emotional thing. Elijah felt that way. Why? Because Jezebel wanted to kill him. And everybody wanted to kill him. And having people tell you, I'm going to kill you, will definitely cause a huge emotional withdrawal in your heart and in the bank of your life. So Elijah faced the constant threat of many enemies. The same thing happens in our lives today. Let me ask you some questions, though. Let's diagnose some of this. How are your priorities? Because priorities will contribute to the source of discouragement in our lives. Let me give you some examples. Many of us who come to BBC on occasion if they're honest with me, we'll admit that their priorities are their jobs or their success or their money or whatever the case may be. We live in a world where jobs and success and money and famousness and stature and all these other related things become a priority to people. But jobs and success and fame, do they usually contribute to the love bank? Do they contribute to your emotional well-being or do they take away from it? Even if you're successful, they take away from it. They take away from it. Uh, let me give you some examples. You know, 
Oh, I just, I understand it's first service. Can I use a personal, I don't usually use a lot of personal, can I use a personal example of my life? Like when I wrote Sim Church, which was my first popular book, I, I didn't, never written a popular book before. I didn't know what would happen. The publisher put it out there and CNN called me and a bunch of people. And before I knew it, there was a hate club who hated me. I mean, like, I don't even have a fan club yet. And there's people who are attacking me and hating me. What, what is up with that? But what did I do to deserve that? But it's because success and career. Listen, if you move, if you're the janitor, nobody wants your position. People are going to hate on you, but that's because you're the janitor. But when you become the VP, everybody hates you because they want your job. And they'll pretend to be nice to you, but only so that they can get your job. And that's the way it is. So here's the problem. Why is priorities really important? Why? Because when your priorities are things that take stuff out of your emotional bank, like fame, like success, like career, then where do you go to get replenished? Where do you go to get your bank refilled? But if your priorities is God first, your relationship with God second, your emotional, mental, and spiritual health, your family third, those are things that do what? Add to the bank. They add to the bank. Some of you may say, well, my family doesn't add to the bank. But, okay, let me argue with you for a second because you're right. Families are broken and families can have issues, which, number one, is why God needs to be first. But, number two, your family, on average, is going to be more interested in filling your bank than people out there. Most people don't know how to fill each other's banks emotionally. That's another subject for another time. But that's usually what happens. It's not intentional. It's just unintentional. Priorities really matter. Listen, people come to me and they say, Pastor, you know, I'm really tired and discouraged right now in life. They won't use the D word sometimes. But really tired. You know, I just, I, I, don't, I don't have time to do ministry. I don't have time to go to church. Yeah. Well, you know why? You're tired and you're discouraged because you've got your priorities backwards. And no amount of success in your job or anything else is going to put your priorities right because God has to be first and your personal, your personal ministry and life and relationship with God, your personal well-being has to be second. Your ministry, your family, third and fourth, not in that order, family, ministry, third and fourth. If your job is in the top two or three, something's wrong. And it's going to be, it's going to lead to discouragement. It's going to lead to discouragement. So this is why we need the gifts that God gives. Hey, what kind of gifts does God give to us? The, the Bible says God gives us gifts. We talked about a couple of them over Christmas. Does God give us Money as a gift. Success or fame as a gift. No. Let me ask you a question. What are the gifts that God gives? Let's look at them. Rest. The Bible talks a lot about the gift that God gives us rest and peace. Friendship, care, wholeness, forgiveness, hope, and rescue. Or we might call it salvation. Rescue. Do these gifts sound like gifts that will help you win the lottery? Do they sound like gifts that will help you be the vice president of your company? No. Why not? Because we know how to be the vice president of our company. We just have to ask the guy ahead of us. How do we, though, have encouragement? How do we have, in the midst of a turmoil-centered world, how do we have peace? Those are the kind of gifts that God can give. Listen, when there's emotional brokenness and damage in our lives... And we want to be filled up on the inside, and God is our priority. Guess what God promises throughout the Bible? That he will fill us up. He will make us whole. He will give us rest. You know, I put on the, on the city this week, Psalm 23. Some of you saw it and commented on it. What is Psalm 23 about? It's not something that we read at a funeral. 
It's not something that we say on TV to make us sound spiritual. What is it? It's talking about how God will protect us and rescue us, how God comforts us, how God gives us rest. Do we as the people of God need rest? Yes, because we live in a broken world and we're going to take emotional hits. Everyone takes emotional hits. I take emotional hits. You take emotional hits. Everybody's going to take emotional hits. That's why God is there. If Christians didn't need to have encouragement, if Christians didn't face discouragement, the Bible would read like a self-help book or like how to have a great future now kind of book or how to get, be the president of your company kind of book. But it's not. The Bible is all about how God loves you and cares about you and wants relationship with you and wants to heal you and give you comfort and give you peace. Why? Because we live in a world where that is absent, largely. And God is the one who is solely able to fill up our bank. Oh, but by the way, we're not going to talk about solutions to encouragement. That's for next week. Let's just stay on the sources of discouragement. God's gift to us includes rest, friendship, care, wholeness, forgiveness, hope, and rescue. Finally, this morning, discouragement can be spiritual. Discouragement can be spiritual. A lot of times, for many of us, we face spiritual discouragement, and certainly our spirit can be a source of discouragement for us as well. Let's see what the Bible has to say. This is in Jonah. I like Jonah. How many of you like Jonah? I really like Jonah. I like the book of Jonah. Some of you have kids named Jonah. I don't know. You may like Jonah. But I like Jonah. You know why? Because Partly because everybody thinks Jonah's about being swallowed by a fish. The book really doesn't have anything to do with that. That's just like a minor thing. But Jonah is honest, and I like honest. He's like blunt honest, and I like blunt honest. So here's what happens to Jonah at the end of, his story, of one of his stories. Jonah chapter 4. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So what happened was basically Jonah had gone to Nineveh and told them, listen, you know, you got to turn from your evil ways, otherwise God's going to destroy you. And they did, and Jonah got mad because he wanted God to destroy them. So the change of plans, uh, what God was doing to restore Nineveh and the rest of the, those communities greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. (laughs) Come on, guys. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And so here's Jonah. Jonah's mad and having a woe is me, discouraged, pity party. Why? Because things did not work out the way that he thought they would. So what's our lesson here? Jonah was upset that God didn't do what he wanted. God didn't strike those people down. I'm really torqued about this. So just kill me now, God, because I don't want to deal with this anymore. Let me just ask a question. As Christians, how many of us feel that God doesn't do what we want? In fact, a lot of us, whether we're Christian or not, we all deal with this issue because we all feel like our life should be different than it is. I deserve a bigger house than what I have. I deserve a bigger salary that I'm more special than the amount of money that they pay me. I deserve more recognition. I deserve a prettier wife. No, no, scratch that one. No, not at all, right? Just thinking, no, not at all. Just, Just kidding. Just for effect. I took a lot out of her emotional bank on that one. Not really. She'll know. she know. I'm kidding. Just kidding. But, you know, I, say, I said that for a reason, though. I said that for a reason because we laugh, but that's how silly we sound when we complain to God and say, oh, my, you should have done this for me. God, I should be rich. God, I should be special. God, I should be important. 
God, my life should be totally different than it is. Unfortunately, as Christians, we are very susceptible to this. We're very susceptible to being discouraged, partly because of our own lack of understanding and our own selfishness of what God wants to do in our lives. Jonah was upset that God didn't do what he wanted. So here's the thing. We all struggle with life not going the way that we want. I mean, this is true of everyone. doesn't matter our background. doesn't matter at this point whether we're a Christian or not. We all struggle with this. We all struggle with the fact that we want life to go a certain way and it doesn't go that way, and so we become, we become discouraged. Let's ask some questions real quick about spiritual discouragement. We're almost done here this morning, but let's just give some examples. Who's this guy right here? When I was working on this, my son came and sat in my lap. He's like, ooh, to this guy. He's like, who's that? Who's this guy right here? Who's this? Satan, right? Okay, so here's the question. This was a discussion point on, on the city this week. Does Satan make us be discouraged? Well, I'm not sure that Satan makes us be discouraged, but Satan certainly can contribute to our discouragement. There's no doubt about that. But the source of discouragement is probably not Satan. It's probably our own brokenness. It's probably our own self. Satan loves to encourage it. Why? Because, well... It keeps us from serving the Lord. How do Christians get discouraged? Here's the typical church Christian response to discouragement. Man, I'm really discouraged in my life. You know, I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to serve God more. I'm going to just try to get out there and make things happen for the Lord this week. Is that the typical church answer? What what does discouragement do? Man, I'm discouraged. I don't feel good. I'm just not going to come to church. I'm not going to do that project. I'm not going to help out with the nursery anymore. That's what discouragement does. Now, discouragement is related to Satan in this way because a lot of discouragement, not all, some discouragement can be blood sugar, some discouragement can be clinical depression. There are other forms of discouragement. But a lot of discouragement that we will face is spiritual discouragement. Spiritual discouragement always works on a lie. What is a lie? You don't need that church. That church is small. You don't need it. You're better than those people. Those people just gossip and they just talk about this. You don't need that. You don't need Pastor Douglas to tell you how to live your life or, do, or to tell you that. We don't, I don't need to believe the whole Bible. Just believe part of the Bible. And the part that doesn't make sense to me, don't worry about that. Let me just ask this question. When did lies come into play? Have lies gone on for a long time? The Garden of Eden, very good. In the very beginning, what did Satan say? He said, you know, fruit, you can eat the fruit. And Adam and Eve said, I deserve that fruit. I deserve that fruit for myself. God didn't give me that fruit. I deserve it for myself. And they ate it. Listen, the lies outside the church are what? The lies outside church are, you know, God doesn't exist. We're just a chemical mixture and that's all it is. We're just a chemical mixture. So just let your hormones rage, just do what you want to do, because it doesn't really matter. That's the lie people believe out there. But the lie people in here believe is that, you know what, God should have done something better. He should have given me more money. God should have made me more famous. God should have made me better. And because of that, I'm not going to serve God anymore. I'm not going to be a part of church. I'm not going to do any of that. And it's just a lie that takes our discouragement, Satan takes our discouragement, and uses it against us to multiply it and make us ineffective for the kingdom. Now, This leads to the question, are Christians more discouraged than non-Christians? Yes. Should Christians be more discouraged than non-Christians? Yes. Here's why. 
a non-Christian may face emotional discouragement and they may face physical discouragement. But a non-Christian has no reason to be discouraged spiritually because they're living for who? Me. You want to find someone who's very selfish? Very selfish people, are they happy or unhappy? Well, let's be honest. Very selfish non-Christian people are oftentimes very happy. You know why they're very happy? Because they're all about making themselves feel good. They spend all their money and all their time making themselves feel good. So at their core, some of you argue, yeah, but at their core, they're like the Grinch. Yes, that's true. But on the outside, they're just as happy as all. They're happy, they're lucky, everything's fine. Believe me, I have a relative who is the most selfish person you'll ever meet, and they're the happiest person you'll ever meet. Why? Because they spend all their money and all their time making themselves feel happy. You know what? They're out of the game. Satan doesn't need to discourage them. The broken world, they don't care about discouraging them. Why? Because they're already doing whatever they want to do. Why is it that the people of God in the Bible are oftentimes portrayed as being discouraged? Paul saw Jesus face-to-face on Damascus Road, very discouraged throughout the whole Bible. Elijah, great miracle worker, discouraged the whole time. Jonah, major prophet, discouraged. Moses, also discouraged. David wrote a whole book about how God needed to rescue him from his discouragement. The Bible's full of people with discouragement. Why? Because a lot of discouragement is spiritual. When we go against the grain of the world and we say, no world, we're not going to do what you say, we're going to do what God says, that will cause our lives to be at friction with the world. When our lives are at friction with the world, it just is going to take more out of our love bank, more out of our emotional bank, and it will be more of a battle for us to stay encouraged rather than discouraged. If you read a lot of blogs about discouragement, some, some pastors, I've heard them say, and some blogs will say, Christians allow discouragement. Well, that's partly true. But I don't want anyone to leave here thinking that if you're a Christian, that you allow discouragement and it's your fault, that you just need more faith, because that's not true. What is true is that you know how discouragement comes in? If a person says, woe is me, I'm discouraged, so I'm just not going to do anything for the Lord anymore. Are they going to face more discouragement or less discouragement at that point? They're going to face less discouragement. Why? Because they're taking themselves out of the game. Some of the most discouraged people in the world are people who serve God. That's the truth. Some of the most discouraged people in the world are people who serve God. Look at Mother Teresa. Was she discouraged a lot? Yes, you could tell by the look on her face. I'm a pastor. I will tell you that most pastors struggle terribly with discouragement. They do. Why? Because it's very discouraging to be a pastor. I'm not saying some of your jobs are not difficult. I'm sure they are. But discouragement is something that I think affects what I do quite, quite a lot. We don't allow discouragement, but at the same time, we want to overcome discouragement. So let me ask the simple question. How do we overcome discouragement? We're not going to answer it here today, but as we look at the source of discouragement, if our source of discouragement is physical, what do we need to do? We need to take care of ourselves. We need to go to the doctor if necessary. If our, if our, but that's not the majority. If our source of discouragement is emotional, what do we need to do? We need to put our priorities right. We need to get our relationships in the right order. But number three, if our discouragement is spiritual, which a lot of times for a lot of people who go to church it is, what do we need to do? Just stop going to church, Right? Just stop serving God, right? Well, that's the answer that most people come up with. But that's not the answer that will overcome discouragement. That's just the answer that will eliminate discouragement from your life. 
This is what God wants for us. God wants us to overcome discouragement because of what he has done in our lives. Let me say it another way. There are lots of ways to get rid of discouragement. When you look at Paul, when you look at Elijah, when you look at a lot of these people, they didn't say, I'm going to give up on God. They said what? I'm going to give up on God. And then once they had a chance to pray and have God minister to them and have the Holy Spirit work in their lives, what made them change? They took hold of the promises and the grace of God. We could say it like this. A person who overcomes discouragement is one who faces discouragement, but then by the power of God moves past it because of their faith in the promises and what God will do in the future. That, by the way, is what separates Paul and Elijah from the average church person today. Because the average church person today, when they face discouragement, just quits. But Paul, Elijah, people that we see in the Bible, they didn't quit. They persevered. Which is why Paul tells us that, hey, I face discouragement, but I ran the marathon so as to win it, not so as to quit midway through the race. So I have no, I have no simple answer for you this morning. I'd like to tell you that because you're a Christian, you'll never face discouragement. And the more you love God, the less discouragement you'll face. But that's not true. The more you love God, the more discouragement you're going to face because the more the world is not going to set right with you. And the more unhappy you're going to be because the way and the injustice that goes on in our world and the hate that goes on in our world and the fact that so many people are desperately needing to find a solution to their lives and that we know that solution is Jesus and we just can't communicate that solution well enough or fast enough or good enough to people. I'd love to tell you that discouragement is is banished from this building because we're Christians, but that's not really true. The more we love God, the more discouragement we're apt to face. But God is the only thing in our world that has any type of solution to discouragement. So praise God that the one thing we don't want to face, the one thing we don't want to face, which is discouragement, is the one thing that God is extra good at healing and resolving in our lives. Why? Because that's the whole point. He says, listen, I'm not a God who's going to make you rich. I'm not a God who's going to make you successful. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy burdened, I will give you rest. That is what God specializes in. And so the more we're able to go to him with our discouragement, the more he can do in our lives. We'll finish this next two weeks. Let's pray.